This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Shlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. For this episode of Soundmaking, I spoke with Australian composer Lisa Lim. We spoke about her opera, The Oresteia, and at the end of this episode, you'll hear a scene titled The Furies. This recording was made in the 1990s, but has recently been re-released on Huddersfield Contemporary Records. We warmly recommend this three-CD release to you, which also features two other large-scale works by Lim, all brilliantly performed by Elysian Ensemble. In our chat, Lisa discusses the version of the Oresteia that she made with theatre maker Barry Kosky, and how this formative work features many of the themes and concerns that have occupied her over the past three decades. I'm Lisa Lim. I'm a composer. I'm currently living in Berlin at the Wissenschaftskollegs zu Berlin uh, on a wonderful fellowship, but I'm normally living in Melbourne and then also teaching at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music in Australia. So we've just heard the very end of my first opera, The Oresteia, written between 1991 and 93. And this section, this two-minute section, is called Athena's Trumpet, as performed by coloratura Jeannie Vanderfelt and piccolo trumpet of Andrew Evans. Uh, and it's expressing this uh, a kind of double hybrid voice of the goddess Athena and the Furies. And the, the text is just three words, memory, dream, fury, and that's how the opera ends. Yeah, so the the opera, the Oresteia, uh, was written in, in the early 90s 
and it was a collaboration with the great theatre director Barry Kosky. We're in our mid-twenties in Melbourne, a very fertile, extraordinary time uh, where there was a lot of interdisciplinary collaborations. Uh, the work was written for the Elysian Ensemble and produced by Daryl Buckley uh, for 11 musicians and six singers. It was the most extraordinary fun uh, and and a huge learning experience and really sort of set in train a lot of um, the, the projects that I've done in, in the sort of succeeding 30-odd years. So the Oresteia in, in, in this version by Barry Kosky and myself is this very compressed uh, and fragmentary look at some of the themes uh, of Aeschylus's trilogy, a uh, tragic story of the, the house of, of um, Atreus and Agamemnon, this, this kind of trauma after the Trojan Wars, uh, leading to a series of, of murders of the prophetess Cassandra, Agamemnon himself, and then Agamemnon's queen, Clytemnestra, um, the pursuit of the son, Orestes, who, who murders his mother by the Furies. I mean, it's this, this uh, I mean, talk about dysfunctional family. Uh, but the opera itself really sort of focuses on uh, the notion that these are unappeased ghosts, spirits that still cry out to have their their stories told. And, and the conceit is that the, the opera stage is this charged membrane. And as soon as one of the performers makes contact with that surface, they can be possessed by any of these spirits of the, of the past. So the work is this kind of rather high intensity, you know, highly charged um, theatrical space of possession. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's often very sort of high keyed in terms of what the singers and the musicians are doing. So at, at the end of this podcast, we're going to listen to the scene called The Furies. It's the fourth of seven scenes. It's more or less midway through the opera. Uh, and it's, it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the fulcrum of the opera in that it, it takes this notion of unappeased spirits. And, and it's, it's kind of a response that I have in terms, you know, why make an opera on this very, very old, um, you know, story? What is its relevance? You know, why do I feel that there are voices still to, to be heard? Um, uh, and it's, it was really came out of my feeling that in Aeschylus's version, the Furies, by the end of the trilogy, are, are um, in his story, given a new place. They're turned into the Eumenides. They are kind of tamed, you know, from these kind of bestial forces that relentlessly pursue justice. Um, they've been persuaded by, the, to, uh, by Athena to become these these kindly ones that the justice is sort of moderated by by mercy. And I always sort of kind of found that really problematic. You know, I wanted this kind of um, untamed, um, wild, you know, the, the untamed wild goddess energy to still um, be uh, thriving and, and out in the world. And I believe it still is. <laughs> so in this particular scene, we hear all of the singers um, stutter and, and, uh, kind of from my point of view kind of channel this 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 text um which is about mourning which is about this this kind of the the forces 
that that visit the guilty, and it's a kind of um, music that's sort of scratching at this old scab. Uh, and at the beginning, what they're actually doing uh, uh, in the production, in the scene before, uh, which is called Cassandra the Banquet, there was this coffin uh, that was affixed to the ceiling of uh, Theatre Works in St Kilda, this old church hall, this coffin which contained 3,000 plastic knives, forks and spoons uh, that uh, that reference this 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 horror banquet uh, that is at the the kind of the the scar of the House of Atreus. Um, anyway, that these forks, knives, and spoons fell down with this almighty kind of smashing, you know, sound onto the floor, and the singers grabbed and 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 um, sort of swept up this this plastic cutlery and grabbed fistfuls of the stuff and were stuffing them into their mouths whilst trying to articulate these words. And that's what you hear at the beginning of this scene. It's a very colourful instrumentation and, and that's really as a result of the um, capacities and the interests of the musicians of the Elysian Ensemble. So there's an electric guitar played by uh, Daryl Buckley. There are these steel pans, this kind of weird give in the sound, you know, as, as, as the mallet hits the, hits the metal. And that was because Peter Neville had these instruments. There's a viola d'amore. You know, there's this kind of really odd mix of, of time and place and culture in the instrumental um, makeup. Uh, and so, so for me, that, that kind of totally made sense in, t- in terms of dealing with the themes of the opera, this notion of slippage, that things don't quite add up, um, and that in those slippages, other things can come through. So again, this notion of, of possession and channeling that, that, uh, that's sort of thematized in different ways in the work. This recording is a studio recording um, after a really wonderful run of 14 performances. It was an extraordinary season. Um, uh, very lucky to have a chance to really develop the work. Uh, as, as you know, with, with uh, performers, they, they, they take on the, the work, you know, when they've got a chance to do it, you know, uh, multiple times. But the thing that, that doesn't exist on this recording is that there was also this improvisation with the dancer Shelley Lassica and several of the singers who really were kind of working with this notion of channeling the fury. So you'll have to imagine that. There's this, this moment, um, sort of declarative moment um, on the gongs then there's a, a tiny, tiny gap, and then there's this um, high-piercing clarinet that comes in again, again with the gongs. And in that gap, which we do not hear, you have to imagine the sound of this this kind of vocal ululation of the Furies. Well, this recording of the Oresteia, which was made in in '93, is just been re-released on uh, HCR NMC uh, in the UK, which is which is very exciting to have that package together with two other operas. Moon Spirit Feasting from 2000 and The Navigator in 2008. Uh, and I can really see a, 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 you know, kind of lineage of themes and um, both in sort of the types of stories I've chosen to, to kind of work with and the sort of vocabulary, musical vocabularies and, you know, the way in which I've dealt with singers, um, you know, traced through each of, you know, the, that, that span of time. 
so, so yeah, writing the Oristia was incredibly formative for me uh, and, and sort of set in train, you know, continuing sort of interest in working with ritual, working with ideas of, of transformation that happens in very specific time and space, um, live, on stage, that's very, very much embodied by performers. Uh, and that, that continues to really, yeah, play out in all of my work.